everybody. It's A Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, and today I'm here with one of my favorite pets, which always makes me happy because it's kind of like I'm just having a conversation with one of my favorite holistic vets and you guys just happen to get to listen to it. So uh, we're welcoming back Dr. Ruth Roberts. Um, those of you who remember her, she's been um, an advocate for pet parents forever now. Um, this is a vet who not only like is here to help us, but empower us and teach us. There was nothing that I liked more um, than when you were like, this is when you need to go to the vet. And this is when you can take care of things yourself. So I love that because I feel like more and more of us are becoming our, our pet's best health ally um, by realizing that we, when we do go see our vet, we need to go in and know what we're going in for and what questions we need to ask and what we need to do that we don't just blindly walk in um, not knowing anything and expecting the vet to tell us everything. So thank you so much for doing that for us. Um, today, we're going to talk about these adrenal diseases that we're seeing um, so prevalent in our dogs, especially these young designer little dogs, uh, I feel like are getting it age one, age two, and um, finding out why it's happening and what we can do to prevent it. Um, this is a very important topic to me because just last week or two, I had a person come into my shop with a mini labradoodle, a poodle. Who? <laughs> yeah. A poodle and yeah. um, two years old and suffering from Addison's disease. And these are diseases that we, you know, we didn't even hear of from about 50, 60 years ago because they didn't really exist. Um, now we're seeing them constantly in these dogs and you got to ask why and what we can do. And, you know, it was a shocker when I asked that pet parent, when did she have her spay? And she said five months. And then I told her that that was probably what was wrong and she was devastated. So I think it's very important that we talk about this because people just don't know. We have been you know, Bob Barker, spay and neuter your pet. We've never been set and we've never heard of make sure you don't do it too early or you may have major problems later down the road. Nobody's ever said that. We just know that we need to control the population and this is the best thing that we do. And even our vets, are most conventional vets will recommend five, six, seven months of age for a spay or neuter. Um, that is not what you recommend. And it's not what many holistic vets or integrative vets recommend. So let's start with that. When should someone get their dog spayed or neutered? And if they do, if they, if we have done it too early, what can we do to support them? But let's start on when is the great age? Is every dog the same? Do we watch our dogs? Is there a time period? Angela, I mean, these are all such crucial questions. And so I think the first real data we actually had was about seven or eight years ago when the University of California Davis published a study looking at case records of golden retrievers, because they unfortunately have won the lottery for, for cancer, for bone and joint disease, and a myriad of other things, hypothyroidism. I mean, you know, pretty much you can think of an organ system and there's some issue that Goldies unfortunately tend to have an issue with. Now, what they found was that 
they looked at, I, I think over 3000 dogs, spayed, neutered, unspayed, unneutered, uh, you know, so what, what was, what happened in their medical records? And what they found was that unneutered male dogs had zero ACLs. They had zero, right? Um, they had an extremely low incidence of hip dysplasia. They had prostate cancer, um, but they were not getting these horrible cancers like hemangiosarcoma, lymphoma, osteosarcoma, at least not at the rates in the general population. Same thing with female dogs. Yes, they were getting breast cancer. Yeah, they were probably getting uh, pyometras, which is an infection of the uterus because they're intact. But I got to tell you, I've been practicing long enough. I will take a breast cancer case hands down over hemangiosarcoma, lymphoma, all of those horrible cancers, at least with breast cancer. Now I graduated in 1990. So I am 31 years into practice. So it, and the biology of tumors every, every five to 10 years change so dramatically, but I will take a breast cancer because with, if this animal has been intact for most of her life, there's a 50% chance it's benign. There is a, of the 50% that are malignant, 25% of them are not going anywhere. You take the tumor out and you're done. And then the other 25%, we do have, you know, we do have malignancy and spread. And so that's where we've got to do some work, but the incidence was so low. And I mean, in prostate cancer, I can, from 1990 until probably 95, when the spay neuter movement got going, you know, maybe I'd see one of those dogs every three to five years with prostate cancer. Wow. And the best, you know, and at that point, if we neutered the dog at that point, a lot of it just, you know, a lot of it just shriveled up. So it's changed dramatically. Now, it, it, spaying and neutering is a double-edged coin. There's no two ways about it. In 1990, when I went to Charleston, South Carolina, the uh, SBCA there took in 38,000 animals a year and they euthanized 30. 4,000 or something <gasps> ridiculous, oh just God. ridiculous. Right. But, but this is, this is in the time where people still had their dogs tied out in the yard. They were running the streets. They're getting hit by cars. They're getting into horrible fights because they're out, you know, hunting up a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I mean, so this, it is a double-edged sword, but we need to be really cognizant of the choices that we're making. So, yeah, but my, this woman's, you know, 12 pound poodle, <clears throat> certainly that's something that we can control. It's, it is. And it's a big problem. I mean, because what's happened is we've gone from nobody is spayed and neutered to nobody has gonads and they're not leaving the shelter with gonads. Uh, and so we were seeing spays and neuters happening as early at eight as eight weeks of age. And there are repercussions for never having a competent endocrine system. In women, there's something called Turner syndrome where the, the chromosomes are mixed up, mixed up and you've got um, like an XXY, I think is the deal. For these women, they never have a competent 
female, so estrogen, progesterone, hormone system. They never get things made, and they're generally dying at 35 to 45 years of age. So this is one of the few human references that I can draw on to say, this is, this is a really big problem. That's usually, and, you know, if we equate that to the dog years, that's usually when they're becoming seniors. So when they're becoming like six, seven, or eight is usually when it really starts, the disease start, starts to happen and shows its ugly head and everything goes to shit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's, that's the perfect word for it because what happens is they hit menopause they've or andropause. They've been robbing Peter to pay Paul all of their lives and they have no reserves left. Wow. And it is a huge problem. And that's part of why we're seeing things like, uh, you know, hypothyroidism at two, um, the adrenal diseases, the Addison's disease in young dogs as early as six and eight months sometimes, um, you know, all Just, sorts of- let- let us let everyone who doesn't know what is the endocrine system responsible for? Why is it so important that we let it, let it do its job before we cut it off? I mean, it's, it's, it's the world. I mean, that's how the, uh, that's how the whole system works. There is, you know, we used to say, oh, the thyroid is the master gland. And then no, it's the pituitary gland and it's this and it's that and the other. Well, it's, probably the hypothalamic uh, pituitary axis that's really driving everything. If there is no feedback from your sexual hormones into this system, then there's a lot of pets that never fully develop normally. They don't develop bones normally. They don't develop joints normally. They don't develop their immune system normally. Um, So for frame of reference, when we go through andropause, menopause, the primary source of our sex hormones, the ovaries and the testes, stop producing so much hormone. And now our abdominal fat is responsible for producing these biophysiologic levels of hormones. Well, for a puppy or a kitten that's never had the chance to be fully competent, it's a big issue. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So, you know, and that's the other thing too, is we say adrenal glands and most people, most people will think of Cushing's disease, which is something that happens later in life. Um, But Addison's disease is a deficiency of the mineralocorticoids. So that's things like, um, you know, salt, sodium, things that keep your electrolyte balance. Uh, And prednisones, corticosteroids have a little play in there, but what's happening in this situation is it's all way too low. Cushing's disease, the mineralocorticoids, the things that keep your fluid in balance, that's not affected so much, but what's happening is way too much cortisol gets produced. And that can be either because there's a tumor at the level of the adrenal gland making too much cortisol, but most often it's that the, there is the feedback loop between the pituitary gland and the adrenal gland is messed up. Um, some people will say it's because there's a tumor in the pituitary gland, but there is some evidence that because the pituitary gland has been trying and trying and trying and trying to get the job done, it ends up creating a type of cyst or a benign type tumor. And it just produces too much stimulating hormone for the adrenal gland and the cortisol goes through the roof. So is this also what what we know of in our world as adrenal gland failure or adrenal? 
adrenal deficiency or, um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, and that's, that's shifting too. And I think that that's come back to your HPA axis has been just over pushed for many, many, many years. And where we used to say adrenal fatigue, and there's a lot of people that are sort of backing away from that term at this point. It's really, I'm glad that you said that, because I remember being diagnosed as that, been given a book, went home, read the book, and I was like, this isn't what I have. (laughs) Yeah, exacto, exacto. Yeah. And that's, I was like, I feel this way, this way, and this way, but I certainly don't feel this way, this way, and this way. Yeah. And it's like, if you go through and read the symptomatology for chronic fatigue or um, uh, fibromyalgia, if you have pain, it's going to be that whole long list. And essentially that's like, it's all the stuff they don't know about. Well, it's like, here's all the symptoms and we don't know what to do about it. Exactly. How do we diagnose it? How do we refine it? And so here's, here's, here's a name you can call it. Right. And if you happen to understand the endocannabinoid system, then you understand all of those things that we don't, that we just shove in this pile over here. It makes a little bit more sense. All right. We're going to, we have to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about what happens if we've already have, you know, a dog, which of course I do, who was uh, fixed too early. What can we do to support them um, if they're young and if they're already suffering or what we can do to maybe prevent it from uh, getting worse as they get older when we come back. It's a dog's life. We'll be back once we take our sponsors out for a short walk. All right. We're with Dr. Ruth Roberts and we're talking Oh, Cushing's and Addison and um, adrenal issues, um, which we are, uh, I guess, is research showing? I mean, we are figuring it out, but what has given us this answer of, yeah, it's being caused from animals being um, spayed and neutered too early because it just makes sense. They don't have what they need. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. I mean, you know, sadly, the the deal with basic scientific research in veterinary medicine is that it essentially doesn't happen unless there's a drug that can be produced out of it. And so we don't have a lot of these answers. UC Davis has done a ton of work um, and they're, they're starting to look more at adrenal function and things of that nature. And in fact, they did a study recently um, using pyometra as the control disease um, and yep, the unspayed female dogs did get it, but they also didn't have all this other horrible stuff like urinary incontinence and all this other, other junk. So, you know, as we talked about earlier, if you're adopting a pet that from a shelter or from a rescue group, by and large, you're getting a dog without gonads. The other confounding issue is that if you forge your dog or if you have uh, daycare, things of that nature, their insurance policies prohibit them from accepting pets that um, that are unspayed or unneutered, or, or at least in the vast majority of times. Mine so doesn't. Tough. Yeah, I yay. take and dogs with gonads all day long. All day long. But it's amazing how well how gosh, it's awful when I bought the shop you know, and I was like, why am I asking everyone to get um, vaccines before they come stay with me? This doesn't make sense. So I just realized how the boarding and daycare and grooming industry plays into all this. And of course they don't know better. They're thinking they're doing a good thing, but yeah, all day long, um, we've get people that um, I don't, I don't have, I I got my dog vaccinated. I I didn't get him vaccinated this year. I'm like, good, don't get him vaccinated. He's fine. Bring him in, you know, kind of thing. It's okay. Uh, 
Right. Uh, my dog yeah. isn't fixed. Can I bring him in to get groomed? Of course you can. So yeah. it's hopefully, I think it doesn't make sense to the, the new generations right now. It's not making sense what's being told for them to do. Do you know what they're exactly. like? They're going, that doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that? Um, exactly. So I like that. I like that they're doing that. And I like that they keep trying to search for a place instead of just do the vaccinations. And guess what? If you have to do the vaccinations, then there's something we can do afterwards to help support their system, to get rid of the crap that's in, in it. Whatever it is, whatever your choice is, there's always options. So I have a dog that's probably- What do we do now? Fishing. What, do we, <laughs> what the heck do I do now? And and I'm going to you know start this by saying that you know, right when CBD dog health started, we had this one customer who we just loved. She spoke to somebody every single day and she was using heel on her 13 year old multi-poo, um, who had, you know, skin, the little papillomas all over had been diagnosed with Cushing's. I didn't even know what Cushing's was. Um, but we were just trying to take care of the little papillomas that were all over. She had one for ever and the doctor wanted to cut it off and she just didn't want to do that so she started using our protocol of heal on the on the lip the full spectrum hemp extract on the gums and then the remedy salve on the tumor and she did it every day and she took pictures every single day and it fell off after two weeks and it was the most craziest thing that i'd ever seen because i had never seen one just gone just like gone so fast. So she became one of our favorites and um, we kept talking to her every day. And then she goes, is it possible that this is helping my dog's Cushing's disease? So I didn't know what Cushing's disease was. So I literally Googled Cushing's disease. And this is what I do every single time someone asks me about whether it will help a disease um, of any type, because most disease is based on inflammation of something. So usually my instinct is to go, yep, it's going to help, but let me find out what this disease is. So of course I start looking at it and going, okay, well, if she's got a tumor here and we're reducing the size of the tumor with this full spectrum hip extract, then yeah, maybe um, the symptoms will start going away. But she literally said that she went from having to get up multiple times during the night to either take the dog out, which is very common. They have to pee a lot and or get a drink of water because they drink a lot more. Uh, there's a lot more panting. They're covered in the little papillomas. They got that little weird fat belly that, that happens and kind of like the belly kind of sags and the backbone kind of comes out kind of thing. And all of those things start kind of disappearing. Um, and it happened to be that my next rescue had Cushing's disease. <laughs> of <lymphoma> course. <laughs> and Cushing's disease a 14 year old uh, Shih Tzu. So I was like, all right, let's see if we can get rid of this. I mean, by the time two years, she died two years later and didn't have a single papilloma on her. She was drinking, eating normal, even her little belly went down, all that. So absolutely, I know that it can help, but what else can we do to help support these pets? Well, that I think are already diagnosed. Diagnosed with or, stuff, yeah. Or already, we've already spayed and neutered them too early. So what could we do to support them from here on out? So I'm going to give you some ideas on the pet that's already diagnosed with Cushing's. And then we can retroactively or preemptively apply these ideas to the pet has been, that has been spayed and neutered early. 
Awesome. So first of all, you know, most of these guys are somewhere between eight to 12 when they develop Cushing's. They've had a lifetime of exposure to antibiotics, prednisone probably, um, some sort of NSAID, things of this nature. And so at this point, two things have happened. One is their guts are just thrashed. And the second is, is that their liver is unable to process waste products any further because there's two phases of detoxification. There's plenty of stuff around to make phase one happen, but there's not enough stuff to make phase two happen. And so there's all this junk that is sometimes worse than the, than the original uh, toxin, if you will, just stuck in their bodies. And so there's a couple of things that can happen. And then the third confounding issue is that they don't have, they never had an endocrine system that worked. So for really, 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 really early um, Cushing's pets that are showing you all the symptoms you just described, the drinking, the peeing, the pot belly appearance, the kind of wonky skin, urinary tract infections. One of the first things we can do certainly is to start them on CBD because that's going to help the entire endocrine system kind of start to come back into homeostasis. The second thing is to really, really, really work on the gut with food. Uh, you and I take different approaches. I think that a cooked approach is better for these pets that are already super oh, ill. I absolutely agree with yeah. you. I love a lightly cooked. I suggest your, those, for those of you who don't know, your crock pot meals um, you know, and anytime someone is complaining that they've got a sick dog and now you're telling me to make it food, well, she's figured out an easy way of doing it. So absolutely. I totally agree. I just think it, it makes sense. The reasoning, no, what is your reasoning? Just go ahead and tell them because I agree with it, you with what your reasoning is. It's, I mean, if from, from a physiologic standpoint, it's already pre-digested, essentially you've broken down everything so that that weakened digestive system can best take in those nutrients that that pet desperately needs. And then we, we use aspects of Chinese medicine and functional medicine as well. So it's kind of let's, but that's a long-term strategy, but that's the first step to gut health. If you quit insulting the gut, it stops breaking down. And then the second thing is to, you know, when you've got the food in place, you're going to add in some probiotics, possibly some digestive enzymes, get the gut happy again. Um, there's another product I use that will actually help the gut seal over by providing it specific immunoglobulins and amino acids. Awesome. So what is that? What is it? Uh, it's, it's Megamune uh, through uh, microbiome labs. And they've, I, you, I like their probiotic. It? Well, yeah, it's on the website and I love okay, their cool. probiotics we'll too. Link it. Yeah. We'll link it Check for those of you that are listening. We always make a, a, a basic blog of the podcast and then link everything that we talk about. So if you guys are listening and or driving or who knows what, and you're listening to us going, wait a minute, I can't write that down. Blah, 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 blah. We always, yeah. we always nope. do that. Don't fret. It's there. Yeah, that's right. So, it's and, there. and then the the uh, so and then we might use some things specifically to help the liver liver go take those phase one detoxification toxins and get them through phase two. So things like liposomal glutathione, milk thistle. I mean, I think Drenamin, uh, excuse me, uh, Denimarin. I, I just haven't seen that be terrifically helpful, uh, and it's dreadfully expensive. And then the third thing is let's give them some raw materials of the gonads and all of the endocrine organs so they can actually start to repair them. I mean, really? yeah. 
So that's meaning part eating, of eating other animals. And what about what about parts. phyto um, uh, estrogen? And I don't know, is there such thing as phyto testosterone? I just know that there's phyto estrogen, like plants where you can get it. Well, phytoestrogens are interesting because a lot of these, a lot of this issue actually comes because this pet is already estrogen dominant. Got it. Ah, right. Um, because of all the the plastics in the water, the plastics in the food, the the pesticides, the herbicide, you know, all of that stuff. Those are all uh, phytoestrogens or estrogen mimics in specific. So estrogen, not so much, but um, if we can help that pet by feeding it uh, endocrine glands, then that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm heading with this. And there's, there's two ways to do it. And, and especially for pets that have got uh, significant things like Cushing's disease, that's where I will suggest holistic total body support, which is the multivitamin that I make. It's got a lot of endocrine support there, but then I'll also start to turn to some standard process products that, that will help target that adrenal gland. There's an adrenal support pro, um, product they've got. There's a Simplex F and M, which are geared for humans, but they're to help support the sexual endocrine system. So as I said, you know, when, when we're 50-ish, that's when the, uh, you know, the main source of all of our sex hormones doesn't work any, so much anymore. And so now we have to rely on our abdominal fat to do these physiologic levels of these hormones. If we add these nutrients in so that the body doesn't have to work so hard to find them, it works a whole lot easier. Well, I'm 50 something and I'm going through a certain change of life. Is this something that I could do also? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, these are, again, these are human products. And then the other thing is too, you've already fixed your diet, I'm guessing, because you've been dealing with lots of craziness, but that's the first step. I mean, if you're eating processed sugar, drinking, drinking your regular bottle of wine every night, you know, eating pasta, eating bread, these are all pro-inflammatory things. And so let's take away the things that are hurting us first and actually see what that does. Sometimes that's enough. And if awesome. not, then we add other things on top. Yeah. And we're going to, let's talk about that. When we come back, we have to take another short break, but yeah, I wanted, I want to talk about what we can specifically add in, even though you said already a few things. Um, and when is it time to go see your vet when we talk, uh, when we come back right after this. It's a dog's life. We'll be back once we take our sponsors out for a short walk. All right, we're back with Dr. Ruth Roberts. Um, okay, we were talking about adding things um, to our diet because we still, they still have their endocrine system. They're just missing their gonads. Um, right. And I love that. And that there's, there's things that we can do. So an integrative, maybe um, a vet that is uh, working in Chinese medicine, are you available? Absolutely. Yeah. I do consultations with clients all over the world, actually. So that's um, awesome, guys. We live in a world where um, you can find your favorite vet and call her up on the phone like I am right now and talk to her face to face, which, you know, is a very helpful thing because then you're getting it specifically for your pet. Um, what are what are some things that you have done 
um, over your career that have really helped pets and, and changed their, their lives around where that they have these diseases, but they're manageable and they're able to live a very happy and comfortable life. The, this is where functional medicine is super helpful to me. So there's seven different um, systems of function that, that's been described. The three that I work with every day for my patients are controlling inflammation, improving digestion and assimilation, and improving detoxification. And if we can get those three systems working reasonably well, that pet has a much happier life. And, you know, so there you are. I mean, if we go, if we could take that approach from a young dog or young cat that has just been spayed or neutered, whether that's at five months or eight months or what have you, and start applying great food, things that are going to help reduce inflammation, support for the GI tract. And then, you know, once a, once a month or once a week, depending on the severity of issues the pet's been dealing with, I'll recommend they do something to help support the liver to get rid of the garbage. And that can be as simple as over-the-counter milk thistle. So milk thistle was enough to just completely detox the liver. We don't need to do any type of cleanse for their body or anything else. Do you recommend anything like that? It just depends, again, on where they are in, the, in, in their health lifestyle, so to speak. If things are really bad, like I mentioned with the Cushing's patient, if, if we add in something like liposomal glutathione, foods that are going to help support liver detoxification, and sometimes if they've already got really massive gut issues, you know, we're doing everything at once because we think of the liver as the main detoxifier, but in fact, the gut is. And if it's not there to assist the liver, the liver just is getting hammered all the time. Wow. What else can parents do? What are some other, some other, I mean, I almost feel like, well, I guess I do want to know because I do have a female dog who is not fixed and she's a senior now. And so now I'm wondering, should I get her fixed now? She's eight. She's not having you know, any issues. And I think she's finally not going into heat anymore. Yeah. And, and it's very interesting. So, um, the guy that did the old gray muzzles tour, his, his name escapes me at the moment, but what he was doing was using Rottweilers as a model for uh, human longevity, because, you know, you go through two or three generations and you can see an impact on, on what you think might help at, or either it is, or it's not. Awesome. So what, what he found out was he started contacting people that own Rottweilers and they were contacting him and vice versa. And he realized there was this group of Rottweilers that were 13, 14, and 15, which is like astronomically old for a Rotty. None of them were spayed or neutered, or they had been spayed or neutered after five years of age, which is, you know, roughly about the time we're hitting 50 or so. And what he saw in talking with these pet owners is that these dogs died with cancer, but they didn't die of cancer. Oh, Wow. I and love so, that. Say that again. So they died with cancer, but they did not die of cancer. They died so, of natural causes. So what that means is that their body was able to keep the cancer from killing them and taking over them, which, you know, anytime I hear anything about 
how powerful the immune system is, I have to stop so that we can just go, hey, immune system, way to go. Yeah. Because I feel like everyone forgets that we have this system in, in, our, in our bodies that is supposed to help us fight disease and keep us alive. And when we bombard our pets' bodies or our bodies with synthetic pharmaceutical drugs and toxins in the air and flea and tick and chemicals and processed foods, we don't have a chance in hell. Our poor immune system and our livers are can't do it. We're not doing exactly. it. We're not supporting it. But if we do support our immune systems, which, which what I'm hearing you say is that the, these Rottweilers immune systems were supported and because they had their endocrine system, their immune systems were probably even stronger because all the systems were in place working that these dogs did not die from cancer. Exactly. And I mean, it, and this is part of what the beauty of CBD is, is it helps to maintain homeostasis which is balanced between all the systems so that the body has the chance to be the miracle that it is. I mean, that's-, that's right. To that's, think that there, when I heard that the endo, um, endocannabinoid system was the master of all the other systems and that I was responsible for keeping all of our other systems in balance and yet nobody knows about this system is crazy to me. But when you start seeing that, when you now then know, and then you start practicing, you know, medicine that way by taking care of the endocannabinoid system, and then watch how it takes care of all the other systems, it's magical and you can't deny it. Amen. Yeah. So this is it. So what his recommendation was for some time was to wait till at least five years of age. And what I would say is, is that if, so the other thing that's interesting in women, um, you know, they, if you have anything funny looking on your ovary, they want to take both of them out right then and there. And finally, uh, and I, I, I had a cyst on an ovary, I had to get it taken out. I had to fight with my OBGYN to leave the other one in because she hadn't read her literature. And lo and behold, if you take both ovaries before a woman hits 65, you have dropped her lifespan by four years. Boom, done, over. And the other thing that's interesting is that the majority of ovarian, of ovarian cancer cases are coming from the fallopian tubes. Hmm. So she did take both fallopian tubes because, you know, it, it, don't and, need those. yeah, I don't need them. So, so that, what that does though, the reason I'm telling you all of that is that takes that estimate of five years and that bumps it up to like eight, six or eight. Wow. And so in your situation, if something was really going on that you needed to have surgery for, um, yeah. I'm calling would, you. Yeah, <laughs> no, not me. I, <laughs> no, I would go, I would, you know, go get the surgery done and consider having her spayed at that time. And then the other thing too, is that as she ages, she's going to have, and if she continues to have heat cycles, her risk for having pyometra or that uterine infection will go up as well. So you need to be cognizant that that is possible. And, uh, you know, just watch if she's had a heat cycle and then all of a sudden she's licking her bottom again, three weeks later, that can be a sign that she's actually draining some pus from the uterus. And that's a, that's a big warning shot. Awesome. Well, I think we're out of time and it was so much fun. I know we're going to do this on a regular basis because I just love taking a topic and just chatting with you about it. And thank you so much because you I took a whole sheet of notes 
Good. I'll make sure all the links of everything that you mentioned are on there and directed to your store so that we can get these items because I know I want to get a couple, um, especially that the, um, I already mega forgot. Mean. The mega mean. Yeah, the mega all I wrote was mega M and that's all as far as I got. Yeah. Mega so yeah, yeah, those because there aren't very many options. And I feel like many other diseases that present themselves in the vet sees, they don't know what they are caused from and they usually throw the wrong medications at them. So I like knowing exactly what it is that will work. And if there's a natural way, you know, we're always gonna go that way first. Dr. Ruth Roberts, everyone, you can find her at drruthroberts.com. And of course, we will link everything on the blog. Thank you so much again for joining us and sharing so much of your wisdom with us. With pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks, Angela. You too. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.